Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting The Motley Fool. Receive $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to the hellofresh.com forward slash MF30 and use the offer code MF30. Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Thursday, the 17th of May, and you're joining us during a theme week where we're talking about foreign stocks. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me on Skype is Motley Fool contributor and all-around nice guy, Jason Hall. Jason, how are you doing? Hi, Sarah. I'm on again. I think I've been on this show more in the past several weeks than like the entire history of the show before that. So I'm I kind d- of I, I don't know. I was going to say, I don't know what you've done for, to deserve this punishment. But, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Unpunished, I guess. <laughs> uh, so Jason, this week, uh, it's a theme week here on Industry Focus. We're a US-based podcast and we talk about the US stock market. Um, so we decided to change things up by focusing on international stories. Why? Because there's a whole world of stocks out there and no portfolio is truly diversified without at least some international exposure. Uh, that's why they have me on the team. I'm the the team's international exposure. Um, so every day, the hosts for their respective shows will be covering international stocks or themes within their segments. Jason, you and I have decided to go big or go home, I believe is the expression we're covering. Why have you companies today? Yes, it could be going out of control. It's so big. So <laughs> I'm counting on you to keep us reined in. This, uh, oh, that's always no pressure. That's, no pressure. that's always dangerous. Um, so yeah, we'll be giving you a whistle-stop tour of some stocks operating uh, in areas of energy and industrials, and that we're we're kind of bullish on the general trends that they operate in. So it includes infrastructure, renewables, and even an oil and gas suggestion in there too. So most of the companies we're discussing are listed on the U.S. exchange via ADRs. So some background on ADRs before we start: they are American. American Depository Receipts. These are receipts held by U.S. bank that represent stock in a foreign firm. Um, they trade on the U.S. Uh, they trade on the U.S. stock market in dollars, and it just simplifies the process. They have a different reporting requirement, so that's something to be aware of. But it's just an investing product that helps U.S. investors buy shares in foreign companies. So, on our whistle stop tour today, we'll first be talking about uh, infrastructure. So any regular listeners knows that Jason and I are both bullish on the rise of global infrastructure spending. Jason, I'm not speaking out of turn or speaking for you there, am I? No, not at all. Not at all. You, I, I feel that my, my views are being represented above. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the first company is one that Jason actually bought. Uh, this stuck to my attention at the end of last year. Um, I've sub- subsequently done a lot of homework on it, and uh, I actually pitched it a month ago on a show with Taylor Muckerman. Um, so I probably sound a bit like a broken record, but it's Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. Ticker symbol is BIP. Um, it's one of the world's largest infrastructure companies. The company's based in Hamilton, Bermuda, and they're listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, but they really are very much a global company. Only 5% of their revenue came from the US in 2017. They own energy distribution networks, cell network towers, electric lines, toll roads, ports, and even timberland. Uh, And if you look at a lot of the countries and regions that they're heavily invested in, like South America and India, uh, a lot of these are kind of, you know, the next big growth economies or certainly economies that are demonstrating um, rapid amounts of uh, spending and um, infrastructure development. Yeah, I think I think for me, the the thesis behind uh, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners is, you know, it's honestly, it's one of my favorite investments out there. It really is. But something that you and I talked about on other shows something that, that drives a lot of investment thesis I have for some of my biggest personal holdings is the sheer growth of the global urban population over the next mm-hmm. you know, decade and a half or so. We're going to add about a billion people. 
and infrastructure is key to that. And I don't think there's any company that does a consistently better job than Brookfield uh, infrastructure in terms of really allocating capital really well to good projects and good assets to, to generate just great cash flows. I really, really, I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. They have this strategy of acquiring distressed assets and then they kind of turn them into cash cows and either keep them or sell them. And mm-hmm. I agree with you. And one of the things that it, they do that's just so uh, compelling is it's really these um, projects that are just so vital for the success of, a, of an economy and of an area. Like if you look at ports, even toll roads, you can argue. I know everybody hates toll roads, but frankly, <laughs> I saw a Motley Fool analyst present it as they're selling people time back, <laughs> which uh, seems like a great way to uh, to present it. But it's true. Um, the company's had a bit of a rough start to the year, I think because they've always presented uh, return on equity as kind of their big objective, their big goal is to create a long-term ROE of 12 to 15%. Um, and I think their ROE, ROE took a little bit of a hit in 2017, but this year looks strong. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, I actually, I have only just started scanning through, um, through their, their, their filing. Um, and it was, it was a decent year. I think from a cash flows perspective, it might've a little bit, been a little bit better than the, than the gap earnings. Um, but one of the things that their CEO has talked about um, more and more over the past few quarters is it's getting a little bit harder and it's kind of a cyclical thing. It's a little bit harder to find the same you know, distressed asset opportunistic buys that, that the company's made in the past. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to look more at investing in organic growth and expanding the assets that, the, that they retain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to, to a certain extent, we might see a little bit of an effect over the over the long term is it invests more money in expansion because those projects do tend to take a little bit longer before they generate a return you know yeah. you buy you buy a company it can be accretive to earnings as soon as as soon as the deal closes mm-hmm. right but when you're taking two or three years and building up a project you know you're investing that capital and not getting any return until it goes online so you know that could just be a little bit of a shift in the in the the way the company is focused on focusing on investing towards future growth yeah uh, absolutely but both still, both really bullish on this company. So definitely, if you're listening and um, you like the sound of infrastructure development, then certainly give them a look. Yep. Um, the second stock we're going to talk about, this one uh, is an ADR. Its t- ticker symbol is Vale, and it's called Vale SA. Uh, you'll see the ADR in parentheses after the stock in your brokerage. So they're headquartered in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. It is a 72 billion market cap materials and mining company. So it's a big company. Um, it's one of the largest logistics operators also in Brazil. So Vale is the largest producer of iron ore and nickel in the world. 71% of 2017 revenue came from iron, 9% nickel, 8% is other. So this includes kind of fertilizers and other such. And then copper and coal. So the company has, is up 70% over the last 12 months, 18% year to date. And this is because a lot of iron stocks have just been doing incredibly well because of rising demand or such strong demand from China. So China is the world's largest steel maker. Um, and you've kind of seen that come to the fore in the press recently with all these kind of tariff conversations. But uh, they buy the most seaborne ore um, Uh, from anybody else in the world and demand looks like it might start to level off soon. So the near-term outlook looks good and that's probably why we've seen the prices, uh, the stock price increase, but the commodity is expected 
um, to kind of level off because you're going to have some contraction in demand from internally in China and then also the increase in the availability of scrap, which is something we don't really think about. But the more that they've kind of produced means now the more that they can probably recycle. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's an important one. To yes. To, for example, in, in the U.S., Nucor, the largest U.S. steelmaker, is also the largest recycler in the U.S. Mm-hmm. because they use steel and iron scrap. So that's, yeah, that's really important to mention. And it kind of squeezes the demand on both sides almost. Um, but 41% of revenues came from China, so it's it's not a it's not a small point at all. Uh, and it's definitely a risk to bear in mind with the stock. And they also compete in this arena with Australian miners who obviously can save money on shipping. I think it's like $17 a tonne. Uh, from to ship from Brazil, and it's about $7 a ton from Western Australia because of the proximity. And Vale is mitigating this somewhat. It has its own fleet of ships called Valemax ships, um, and it's expanding that fleet. So they're certainly making all the right moves to kind of uh, hone that, to kind of reduce that Australian advantage. But I would certainly suggest people do their own homework on this and look at the forecasts. It's not a precipitous decline in demand that's being expected. Um, And also specifically look at infrastructure manufacturing development in the other high growth economies that the company operates in. Um, Because fundamentally, the company is looking in such a much better shape than it has for years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they had attempted previously, Jason, you're probably way more familiar with this than me, but um, they overpaid, they were trying to diversify away from iron into other mining commodities, and they overpaid pro-cycle. So they overpaid at kind of the peak of these commodity prices. Yeah, I know the the term diversify. (laughs) And and historically, it's been when a company tries to conglomerate itself. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, the idea they had was great, you know, kind of stay within the core mining kind of, you know, things that they're good at. But it just the, the timing was terrible and it just it didn't really work well. I think the big thing, if you look at, you know, iron prices bottomed in, in, in the beginning of 2016 and we're talking, you know, iron ore prices fell by like 70 percent from mm-hmm. the peak um, in 2010, 2011. Um, and they've rebounded, you know, they're up about 60 percent since the beginning of 2016. So that's that's played a big role in its recovery, um, but really focusing on that core iron business and staying a low cost producer is really that's 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 I think the most important thing. In addition to understanding the, the global forecasts, understanding its cost structure and, and how well it stays, it, it manages being a, you know a low cost you know mm-hmm. ore producer is really important to to any um, thesis behind Vale. Yeah, absolutely, and management's kind of been t- been slowly taking steps to remedy their overburdened balance sheet from these um, from these uh, acquisitions. And they're getting, we're seeing this a lot with mining companies, they're getting stricter on their investments. So they're saying, we are committed to investing mainly in world-class assets with a long life and low cost. Um, and it sounds like a uh, something that you should take for granted as a mining company, but really looking at actually the, ret- <laughs> it's, it's strangely they, they not. They all say that. They all say <laughs> it, right? it's, it's seeing how well they do it. Looking yes. into their earnings reports every quarter, you know, seeing what management says, read the, read the transcripts of their earnings uh, calls, read what management says, compare it to, is their conversation changing? Are they talking about their successes or are they talking about how they're now they're moving the goalposts because they weren't successful? Mm-hmm. Those that, That's where you can find out if they're doing what they say or not. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've talked about the oil prices have come up and currently the valuation of the company reflects that as P is a little rich. I think it's 16. Um, but this company's one that I would maybe put on a watch list for some people. 
because um, it's just yeah. so pivotal. The, the the commodity that they deal in is just going to be so pivotal for a lot of the growth projections that people are anticipating. Yeah, I think especially uh, it's it's worth considering. So if you think about the, the quote unquote trade war right now with mm-hmm. the U.S. with the tariffs on steelmakers and China being singled out, China's steel production far exceeds its internal consumption mix. I mean, it's it's so far beyond what they actually consume. It's 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 kind of ridiculous. So the concern is how much of China's consumption has been artificial in terms of demand Mm -hmm. and how could that potentially affect um, Vail's ability to retain real market share, right? Depend a lot of, and a lot of it depends on what, you know, the Chinese government decides to do with its, with its policy in terms of supporting its steel industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The next company I wanted to talk about is uh, Chemex, uh, it's uh, New York Stock Exchange ADR ticket is CV. We were debating before the we started this uh, show how to pronounce it if it was Chemex or Semex. I YouTubed it, <laughs> uh, as, as with everything in the modern age. It was it said Semex. I'm really sorry if that is wrong, um, but it's the second infrastructure suggestion that we're talking about today. It's headquartered in San Pedro, Mexico. Semex uh, is a mid-cap company in the construction materials sector. It's the third largest cement company in the world, uh, installed of, in terms, sorry, of installed capacity, and the second and the largest concrete company, and the world's largest trader of cement and clinker. So clinker is those lumps that you see uh, in cement, which are pretty pivotal to keeping things stuck together. Um, Really fascinating company in the way that they operate. They're heavily tied to construction in five regions, Mexico, US, Europe, South America, Asia, Middle East, and Africa. Um, The global financial crisis pretty much decimated demand uh, for for cement. Um, So they were down 31% in the last 12 months, 23% year to date, and their performance reflects this extended downturn and also nervousness around the... um, the construction activity in Mexico, but predominantly big projects like uh, government-driven projects such as the city airport, which has become a contested issue in the presidential election. However, what I think people are missing with this company is that the majority of the man- demand in that Mexican market, which drives about 25% of sales for the company, is retail. Yeah. 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 Um, that just blew my I was my really mind. surprised when we were talking before the show. I was really surprised by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, retail 65% of the market in Mexico, 35% of that is self-construction. And Semex just, you know, owns that, dominates that market. They have uh, Construama stores, probably mispronounced that, uh, <laughs> throughout throughout Latin America. Um, I'm not even going to try. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm guessing that that has to be a much better margin business than the, than the industrial supply side. But yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, tw- so it's 25% of sales, 40% of EBITDA. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are focusing on this government infrastructure spending, which, yes, it, it definitely would be a growth driver for the company uh, if they secured that in the region. But it's certainly not necessarily their bread and butter. And because they can really dominate that local market, it's a low value, high weight commodity. So it's got this really high barrier to entry for competitors. And right. they just have a, a fantastic distribution network. And well, they then, have such a scale advantage in yes. that market. It's just that, that's a huge advantage. Um, and the U.S. accounts for 25% of sales, Europe 25% of sales, and it's government and corporations which are the big buyers here. And we all know, you know, the infrastructure promises that are being made in the U.S. Uh, similar ones are being made in Europe. You know, it's facing all, all these kind of cyclical 50-year turns of you know these these roads need to be widened, especially in high-growth cities like London. 
Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just. I think it's a kind of off the off the wall suggestion. Maybe um, it's worth looking at. Definitely worth doing some research. I think it's it's kind of like Veil to a certain extent. It's, it's still it's a bit of a commodity product. Yes, this is, you know it's a company that has a big scale advantage. It's it's in a lot of the right geographies, um, and I mean it could definitely be part of that 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 long term urban population growth, kind of that same story. Uh, but I guess it always depends. You know, it gets back to when is the infrastructure spending going to happen? Because mm-hmm. so much of its spending is tied to big government projects and that sort of thing. Yep. Um, but yes, absolutely. And for a lot of these companies that we're talking about, they're commodity focused. You know, this is the if if this was my portfolio, it would be definitely a very small allocation, um, just because, as Jason said, it's you're kind of at the mercy of the commodity, um, and we all know that that's incredibly cyclical on this show, probably more than other shows. <laughs> um, well, before we go on to talk about the other suggestions that we have, uh, I'd first like to thank our sponsor for today. This episode of Industry Focus is sponsored by HelloFresh. They are offering everyone in our audience $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to hellofresh.com forward slash MF30 and use the offer code MF30. Everything comes pre-measured in labeled meal kits so you know which ingredients go with which recipe each week. There's a 20-minute meal uh, on their classic menu for when you just don't have the time to cook. I really enjoy HelloFresh. Their mushroom ravioli honestly was really good. Um, it's meant to serve four, and I think I got about six meals out of it. I don't take from that what you will, but I think I eat I would, pretty normal meals. I'll tell you now, I would get three. If it's four, I'd get three. <laughs> uh, but it's incredibly tasty. It was inc- very, very easy to cook. All the ingredients were really fresh. Um, so if you enjoy not having to plan dinner or spending money on takeout uh, for those easy nights um, and, you know, if you're always like me and you have to stop at the grocery store after after work because I'm a terrible planner, um, you will like HelloFresh. Uh, so you can feel confident with their simple recipes outlined on the pictures. Even Vince Shen of the CG show, I think, uh, not, a, not a chef. Uh, by nature, but didn't struggle with HelloFresh at all. So go to hellofresh.com forward slash MF30 and use the code MF30 to get $30 off your first week. So the next company we want to talk about, Jason, is um, kind of one of your pitches is, I don't know a ton about the company. They're a pure play wind farm turbine maker, Vestas. Is that right? Vestas, right. It's, uh, they are, I just forget, are they headquartered in the Danish I think they're Danish. Uh, anyway, they're a pure play uh, leader in the uh, wind turbine industry. And, you know, it's an interesting company. You know, a few years ago, it was a really, and, and my timing, so many of my investments that have done well, I just lucked into the timing. Um, the company had struggled because selling wind turbines to utilities all around the world is a really, the, the, the spending is really cyclical. I mean, mm-hmm. One year could be huge, and then the next year is terrible. So that really affects the demand from one year to the next. And when you're a manufacturer of something like wind turbines, it's very specialized and really capital intensive. Uh, it, it can really lead to really high fixed costs. And those high fixed costs are really a major problem for, for Vestas for a number of years. If you look at its you know, cash flow statements you know, historically, uh, but a few years ago, they brought in a new, uh, new executive team, a new CEO, they made some changes. They sold off some of their non-core, non-specialized manufacturing to companies that can leverage it better. And then they're using those uh, third parties to, to do some of their manufacturing while they still focus on the things that are really strategic for them, like the, making the actual 
these turbine, the, the blades, for mm-hmm. example, from the wind turbines. And it's really paid off. I mean, if you look at, if you look at the company's cash flows over the past few years, and, you know, I'll, with a grain of salt, I'll say it's, it's been a generally healthy, healthy, um, demand environment for the company the past few years. But I mean, just in terms of its cash flows, it's, it's improved significantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, now, well, just anecdotally, I was going to say that you, I just see wind turbines all over in Europe now. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that that market is going to be saturated somewhat at some point. But well, uh, it's going to be it's a long time from now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still it's a, such a small portion of, of, of global electricity produ- production comes from wind. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, I don't even think it's globally. I don't even think it's in the double digits in terms of percentages at this point. So there's just there's still a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, there, there are some some challenges right now um, because of the cyclicality. I think we talked about. Last quarter, it's it sales in in North America, which is primarily the U.S. Actual turbine deliveries fell by like two thirds. Uh, it was it was offset in some of some of its other markets. Um, so it's kind of a little bit of a weak cyclical period right now. Um, but there's also just the technology's gotten better and the costs have come down. So Vestas revenues, I think they fell last year by about three uh, percent. Earnings fell a little bit. Um, I think, again, if you look at this from a global growth, long-term opportunity, I think this is certainly one of the companies that if, if you're interested in renewable energy, this is certainly a company that you need to have on your, mm-hmm. on your list. It's always nice to see a company when their shares dip, the, um, an actor buyback. It really makes you feel confident in the management. Also sees the shares as undervalued, possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next company I want to talk about is uh, French oil giant Total, uh, trading through ADR ticker TOT. It's an interesting company in itself, but it's also interesting for its controlling stake in high-efficiency solar company SunPower, uh, which is an American solar company. Um, so through a subsidiary, they bought 60% of shares and paid a 50% premium for them in 2011. This was kind of really before a lot of the growth that we've seen recently in uh, solar. Mm-hmm. Um, so SunPower was one of the first solar companies to aggressively pursue utility-scale projects and develop their own solar parks. They had the advantage of making extremely efficient solar panels. So they had that um, they had the advantage with space-constrained residential and commercial markets. Um, but since then, low-cost competition from China has really kind of eroded some of those advantages uh, in some markets. But and we, you know we're starting to see that kind of shake out with the tariffs suggestions right now. Um, but a small part of Total's portfolio, but to me, it's indicative of their kind of forward-thinking attitude, um, possibly. Yeah, I, I agree that you know because I mean, if you look at just if you look at you know Total's results, I'm trying to pull up their their earnings from from last year, and and I mean the, the bottom line is it's it's an oil and gas company in terms of where it derives mm-hmm. its revenues and incomes. You know, it's it's you know EMP business you know generated. You know, the vast, that's exploration and production generated the vast majority of its earnings. Um, operating income last year, uh, it's petrochemicals, refining business. Um, you know, that alone is, you know, it's a third the size of its ENP's operating income, but it's seven times larger than what it gets from, uh, its renewables and power business. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it gets back to what you're talking about, just in terms of it's a forward looking company. So, yep. you know, earlier this year, uh, Total purchased, uh, it's, it's a French company, Direct Energy, I think is the name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Direct Energy for about 1.7 billion 
U.S. dollars, and direct energy is uh, they 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 it's a it's a gas. They use natural gas to produce electricity. Uh, they retail electric electricity. Um, that more than doubled uh, Total's ownership of of electricity production. Um, and again, it's focused on natural gas and renewables. Uh, you talked about its its uh, its expansion um, into uh, solar with um, with somehow, you know, there's an interesting thing that's just worth mentioning in terms of, you know, the solar thing and why, and why it makes sense for Total to participate in that. Um, I think right now in Saudi Arabia, there's like this, you know, what is it like a potentially $200 billion mm, yeah. solar energy farm that's, that's in the, in the talks right now. Um, it's going to add like, was it 200 gigawatts? Yeah. Of, of, and that's like, I mean, that's like double the, Think, yeah, yeah. Like double how much solar was built in the entire world yes. last year. Yeah. I mean, it's it's this massive thing, and that's Saudi Arabia, right? It's one of the big, big oil companies mm-hmm. and or big oil countries. So you got Total, an energy company, that does a lot of business with Saudi Aramco, is in a great position. Mm-hmm. To, 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 it's already connected to the, the leadership these these places to talk about renewables. That's and a that's, good point. that's that's a pretty powerful position to be. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a great first quarter, as you mentioned, and uh, on, on a forward-looking basis, they're actually a comparably very cheap uh, oil and gas company right now. Um, they announced a dividend increase and a repurchase plan. Um, so it's a pretty attractive prospect. As you mentioned, Jason, it's the the profitability for them has definitely been upstream. Um, yep. And, and you know, their shares have been, has been trending up with the rising prices of oil. But last week or recently, um, you you actually told me, also, I probably wouldn't have noticed this, um, they agreed to buy 25% stake in clean energy. Um, clean energy is a natural gas transporter. Uh, and as as we have talked about before, natural gas is just going to become uh, a huge market. Um, so definitely another wise move for them, I think. Yeah, I think, I think so too. And I think it's interesting to look at, to look at the clean energy fuels, you know, acquisition first. I think they, they paid it, it, they got a steal for what they paid. Um, but the, the, I think where it's interesting is that Total doesn't actually operate any retail refueling in the United States. Um, but it has pretty significant petrochemical, um, and refining operations in the U S. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's actually kind of a natural tie-in for them to to invest in that in that segment in the U.S. as a way to look to kind of seed that market and drive increased consumption of, of natural gas. And I think the transportation sector is going to see a real boom of that. Mm-hmm. So with with Total, then I would really say you know look to look to the very the long term future of this company because it seems to be one that's really. Um, taking the the impending changes that will come to oil and gas uh, seriously. It also has a really strong balance balance mm-hmm. sheet. Compare it to to you know ExxonMobil and Shell, some of the other big majors. It has more cash uh, and short term investments than ExxonMobil and Shell have combined. Mm-hmm. That's wow. over thirty two billion in cash and uh, about fifty five billion in debt, which is less than Shell and um, you know a little bit more than ExxonMobil. But it's got a really strong balance sheet. Pays a really solid dividend, and I think it trades for like one point six times. Uh, tangible book value, mm-hmm. which I mean, yeah, that's that's cheap for a high quality company. Yeah, that's a it's a reasonable price. Absolutely. 
so the last company is actually also on this um, liquid or natural gas trend. It's TransCanada, ticker TRP, uh, is a Canadian energy infrastructure company, and they have assets in the U.S., Canada, obviously, and uh, Mexico. They operate 40,000 miles of natural gas pipeline. Um, so a notable project that they they, they operate is the Keystone uh, XL pipeline and the Keystone pipeline system. Um, it also has interest in 20 power generation facilities, mostly in Canada, uh, and they have significant scale as a midstream company. And I'm I kind of like these uh, midstream players because they're really winners, uh, so to speak, in a lot of respects. And a lot of the contracts that they make with the oil refiners or the oil companies themselves are 15, 20 year contracts. Um, Can you so say toll roads? To <laughs> They're often compared to toll roads. They are compared to Basically what they do, they, they essentially charge a toll. It's know, true, to yeah. These resources from place to place. Yeah. Um, so the reason that I kind of am particularly bullish on them is the natural gas projects. So five natural gas projects in Mexico where natural gas is expected to double or natural gas shipments are expected to double by 2020. So not that long. Um, and they've invested over $3 billion with expected returns of uh, $450 million per year, which isn't bad at all. Um, so, yeah, and the real bright point for these projects is they're in, underpinned by 25-year throughput agreements with Mexican state-owned agencies. And I'm not saying that all of those projects are kind of look like that, but it just gives you a flavor for um, how these companies can operate. Yep. Um, so, yeah, TransCanada. Definitely worth a look. I've talked about it before. Apologies for the repetition, but you know, we're just so global on the the energy portion of industry focus, anyway. <laughs> well, so many that so many of the these these the best companies in the, in the energy space are global companies. And Absolutely. Here's another hint: if if you're hearing the same company brought up multiple times, it's probably because there's a high degree of confidence in the quality of that business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yes, I I, <laughs> I learned my lesson. My contrarian play was GE, which I actually still really like, but I'm oh fi my. I'm oh fighting my. against the tide on that one. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, Jason, have I missed anything? Um, is there anything that you would like to add for our listeners? You know, I think I think again the big you know look at the big trends. International exposure is really important. Um, energy tends to be you know internationally traded commodity, so these are levers that affect you know even if a company is focused in one area. You know, because energy is international, it can it can have effects. But you know, the long term trends are good. We're going to need a lot more energy. Um, we're going to need a lot more distribution of it. Uh, you know, Brookfield with uh, with the the, uh, the need of inf you know infrastructure assets of all kinds. Um, you know, international investing doesn't have to be riskier dangerous. No, uh, there are lots of high quality companies that are easy to invest in for U.S. retail investors. And these are these are just a few. Yeah. Um, to and, consider. And if investors are nervous of um, come investing through ADRs or investing in companies that aren't based in the U in the U.S., there are a lot of big um, industrials and energy companies that a great portion of their income comes from uh, overseas. Um, maybe that's another show that we could do sometime, Jason. Yeah, let's let's do that next month. <laughs> uh, so that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. Thank you very much to Austin Morgan for patiently producing the show every single week. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Jason, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and fool on. Mm -hmm.